Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and we're going to talk about brains. And of course, those of you that have been listening to me for a while know that I love brains. I think brains are the most fascinating things, but we know that it can be sometimes a bit complicated when we get into midlife. And who better than to join me today than one of the leading experts in the world on female brains. She's Dr. Luanne Brizendine, clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of California and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Female Brain. But she has out a new book called The Upgrade and a real indication that our brains get better as we get into midlife and beyond. And that is simply fascinating. Welcome to the show, Luanne. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here and talk to your audience. I am so intrigued by this whole approach that, you know, our brains can get better. But maybe before we go there, let's just talk a little bit for my listeners about really why our brains in midlife sometimes, you know, off track, shall we say. Why they do off track, you say, or why they go a little. Yeah. Where they, what are those hormonal changes that end up leading to the brain fog and the like? So the important thing to remember just about us women in our menstrual cycles and our hormones that go up and down, you know, we start at puberty and by the time we're in our 20s, we've got this clockwork system going between the pituitary and the ovaries where the estrogen that's coming out at the same couple of first weeks of the menstrual cycle is making us, you know, usually right before ovulation, kind of more flirty, more kind of more interested in sex. And that's how mother nature made it. So we'll get pregnant, etc. You know, and we've gotten used to that up and down flow. And then of course, those a uh, few days before the cycle begins, lots of us have that very, well, it, it varies, but about 80 to 90% of women suggest they may have some aspects of what we kind of vernacularly call PMS, irritability, we call it in my clinic, crying over dog food commercials. And it's, you know, it's all of a sudden just for almost for no reason at all, you, you feel something very emotional or irritable or angry, or, you know, your spouse is like more irritating than usual. <laughs> you know, we, we get a little habituated to that by the time we're, you know, in our 20s and 30s. And then, of course, between the age of 36 and 42 for women, that clockwork that goes on between, you know, the communication between the pituitary and the ovary starts to sort of fray and get a little bit of lack of communication, not because anything's going on in the brain, but because something is going on in the ovary, which is our eggs are starting to run out. So the egg follicle, of course, is what makes our estrogen, what makes our hormones. And if when that supply decreases, poof, pretty soon it will be gone. But but not before a lot of strum and drawing that happens before that, before that. So between the ages of forty two and fifty two, the time that I like to call in my new book, call I like to call it the transition phase because anyway, I think perimenopause isn't like an old term, but at any rate, it is that phase between forty two and fifty two when that system of because the follicles are not making estrogen, progesterone, etc., we are having a big change. Some days it can be like 10 times full, like a spikes of estrogen because it's responding quickly. And then all of a sudden drops you like an egg on the kitchen floor, splat, no estrogen at all. You know, we're just, 
And so it can be a little rock and roll before that. So that's that's what the lead up, the drum roll to this is. And what's causing some brain fog is our brain is used to running on the hormone fluctuations of estrogen progesterone that we have become accustomed to. Yeah. So it, it really is these big highs and lows. And is it the differences as well between progesterone and estrogen, but there can be quite big differences between them too. There are quite big differences. And another thing that I think isn't well known is, Clarissa, that we end up having many cycles in that that 10 year, the last 10 years in that transition, many cycles where there is not ovulation. And we call it anovulation. And actually, this was done in a looked at in a very large study in Sweden, like probably 20 years ago, where the they just took like most of the female population and they decided to test how many months of the year they ovulated. And they found out even in your fertile years, you're not ovulating at least one cycle out of your 12 of the year. And then after 42 to 52, you may not be ovulating actually for maybe two, three, four, sometimes five months out of the year. When the reason that's important for us to know is that if you do not ovulate, you don't make progesterone because it's the little it's the little empty sac that's left behind after the egg pops out that makes your progesterone. So if that doesn't happen, poof, you have what's called an anovulatory cycle, but also it's one without progesterone, which can just mess up the brain and the body like incredibly. Yeah. I mean, if I'm right, progesterone is one of those sort of soothing, calming hormones in the body. Yes. That's the progesterone. Progesterone has gotten a bad rap. It's it's both, you know, it's like a lot of things in life. Some of it, a certain amount in the right time can be very positive and a certain amount the wrong time can be negative. In my field, we used to call progesterone psychiatric poison because of what it would do to you at the end of the cycle, because it wasn't really understood for a lot of years about what happens. Remember, so if anybody knows that progesterone metabolizes in our brain into and our body into the a compound called it's a very long name but we have a short nice name for it a l l o called allo and it's short for allopregnenolone but allo a l l o basically goes and hits all of those receptors in our brain that valium hits so it makes it very calming like so that's why we call that's why we call in my field that progesterone is also the valium of the brain is because this allo that is the breakdown product of progesterone makes that. So think about when you don't have a cycle that's ovulating and you don't have any progesterone, that usual calming effect is gone. And that's, but also what happens at the end of the cycle with the PMS is because all of a sudden progesterone stops right before your period. So you can shed the lining of your uterus, but it stops, progesterone just stops and starts to be, there is no aloe in the brain. So it's almost like you're in Valium withdrawal that last day of before your period starts making you irritable and crabby and tearful. So it is that special magical compound called aloe that's causing that. Yeah. So that's definitely that sort of edginess. Yeah. And women suddenly say things like, I'm just sitting here in the bathroom at work, just crying and I don't know why. Yes, exactly. Or it's like fingernails on the chalkboard when something happens that, you know, is irritating to you or your boss or somebody at work, another coworker. It's just like, are your spouse somebody that, you know, maybe they annoy you occasionally, but it's not quite like, ah, I can't take this another minute. <laughs> no, you know, and it, or it's you've kept it in all day and then you come home and the smallest thing, your child has left all the unwashed dishes and you go, 
completely off the deep end and everybody's head swiveling at home wondering what went down. What's up with mom? I think they just learned to duck and cover, Clarissa. They duck and cover. <laughs> they do, definitely. But then there's also estrogen, isn't there? And I mean, that has a huge number of receptors in the human brain. And obviously, if that's in decline, which it is during these midlife years, what impact does that have on our, on our ability to function emotionally and also from a cognitive perspective? So let's contrast it to what's happening in the cycles in our 20s and 30s, you know, when that estrogen. So let's think about, so we call day one of bleeding of your period is called day one of your, of your menstrual cycle. Okay. So from day one to day 14, day 14 is usually that period for ovulation. Then what happens is the estrogen during those 14 days is creeping, going up, up and up as the follicle makes more and more and more. And that two to four days before ovulation, it's at its peak. And what the estrogen in the brain is doing, you're becoming more verbally acute. I always tell my female graduate students, be sure to, to schedule your oral exams on those two days before ovulation, you know, and you become, people, they've, they've done studies where women dress a little flirtier, they dress a little sexier, maybe a little more lipstick, whatever it is for you that's like, a, you know, a, a kind of come hither, they get a little more interested in sex. So that, that sort of activation that estrogen does when it's on the incline, our brain, so that's just an example of what it's, what it's doing in the brain as it's climbing to higher and higher levels. And it, it, has a, it has more purposes, obviously, than just making us kind of more horny and more verbal and more flirty, but it gives you an idea, a little snapshot of what's happening in the brain from estrogen. And when that goes down in the kind of the transitions between 42 and 52 or different times of the cycle, you know, that is just less of that fuel to the brain that causes us to be more flirty, verbal, etc. So that's just, we can contrast it if you want to some of the things that happens during the transition. So in many ways, will we say that we're becoming a little bit more withdrawn, we don't speak as much, that women sometimes talk about that, that don't feel as social as they used to. Yeah, I think that what happens is that we're, we're, we're not looking to get pregnant. I mean, Mother Nature is not wanting you to, you know, at the age of 51 or 52, at least for most women, that's not a time when you're looking to have another baby or a baby. It's like, you know, it's not like it's, that's the time when you're, anyway, so the, it's, it's the time when you're maybe being, going a little more internal, a little more quiet, a little of the busyness and rock and roll of the younger stages isn't going to naturally just happen to you. So that's, that's a quieter phase. And the brain fog piece of it can also come a bit if you're not used to the change. And that's why the brain has to sort of get used to it. And a lot of the women that come to my women's mood and hormone clinic are at a stage where they're really needing their brain to be focusing a lot. And if you, since your group likes to hear the brain parts of it, our little area in the brain that that is very, very affected by estrogen, that is one of our major memory processing areas called the hippocampus. It's not the hippopotamus, it's the hippocampus. So that's how I used to remember it. Not the hippopotamus, not the hippopotamus, but the hippocampus. It's a little area. If you put your finger, index fingers right in over the top of your ears into the brain by about an inch on each side, there they are. The two of them are just right there. And so they are having a good time with estrogen, just processing every little memory that comes in, helping your memory system. And when the estrogen goes very low, that isn't working as, as fast as it used to be in terms of the estrogen effects on your, on your memory and processing. So that's a, a bit of the brain fog story. 
Yeah. And so if you're not as verbal and you're not processing your memory, maybe it's not so surprising that you don't get the words out in meetings that you you don't remember, like I did where I parked my car in a very large car park with a IKEA trolley and a very cross nine-year-old. <laughs> Yes, I know. It's like, it's like, that's, that's when you wish you had one of those, like, you know, on your cell phone, you have the find my phone thing. You wish you had a find my car. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. That is so true. But this doesn't last, does it? I mean, and that's very much the, the focus of your new book, The Upgrade, that, you know, we don't stay, as you said, in these kind of brain foggy emotional states forever. There is a shift that's positive. What is it that makes that shift happen? So it's basically just getting used to the lower levels that are going to be more consistent and not the rock and roll of the up and down, up and down, crashing waves on the shore of the, the hormonal cycle during the month. And, and even remember, even if you're going to be put on hormone replacement therapy, which is, it's not, it's going to be something that's going to, for most women, it's, it's consistent. You're not going to have it. The estrogen level is going to be the same every day, either in the pill or the patch or whatever it is that's kept consistent. And if you're not going to go on something and you're just going to, you know, you will become consistently very, very low. For some women are going to need some because they have problems with their bones. And, you know, there's lots of reasons and their brain too that I have women that need to need to take some at a, at a, at a level for, for who knows how long. But at any rate, it's a, you can see that estrogen is a really pivotal piece of, of what our brain needs to function. And it, it does like to have a more consistent level. And that's one of the reasons that I think we get better and better, more focused, less anxiety, less of this brain fog as we pass over the transition into what I call the upgrade. So once you're going into the upgrade, which, you know, the upgrade kind of starts at age like between 49 and like 55, you're going into the upgrade, which is a beautiful, wonderful time of like not having that, the rock and roll of the erratic hormones. And you're going to be in a stage where all of a sudden, it's amazingly how much more patient you become. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? We don't have that that edginess where there's a sort of a sense of calm, but we also become a lot feistier, don't we? We start to speak up a lot. Yes. I think that there's, you know, those of us women who are like, you know, we're raised in the feminist movement, we came up in our professions, all the kind of things that we did. And we're, you know, we were used to being as, you know, in our professions, like it or not, you know, we were sort of the second sex and we were the people that were taught to kind of keep our mouths shut. And also kind of in the mating, dating, sexual game, it's like, you know, there's this, I think, okay, let's just say it. Women tended in those years to kind of bow to men a little bit more or not all women, but, you know, we, we learn to kind of bite our tongues or hold your pee, hold your, hold your pee, right? And so now all of a sudden in the upgrade, you're not, well, I don't know. You're not appeasing. You're not, a, you're not appeasing the, so we say the patriarchy. I mean, you're not, you're not appeasing men. You're not appeasing the, the hierarchy of the, of the, the, the males in your life, whatever it is. I mean, each woman has a little different piece of this culturally or personally, but all of a sudden it's like the muzzle comes off of your mouth and your, and your brain in terms of like, I am going to speak my truth and I am going to be my authentic self. Yeah, definitely. And I think that makes us, I think that can be quite shocking, can't it, for 
the males in our life who are used to us being quite nice, quite compliant, putting them first, suddenly we're not quite so friendly. <laughs> right. I, I think it's mother nature. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to, we're not trying to find the best sperm. No, that's true. We are not trying to mate or please another person. And we, we get a little less sort of, I think caring's maybe a harsh word, but we don't put other people first all the time anymore, do we, Luan? No, I think there's a feeling of, okay, you know, I've given at the office, I've given at home, I've given with the kids, I've, you know, you've squeezed all, all of your blood, sweat and tears out to, you know, all of your heart, all of your kindness, you know, all of your caretaking. And you feel like you don't have a six month, six month old infant at home. You might have a grandchild, but it's like you don't have, you don't have the, that caretaking that was necessary often. And you also, you know, you maybe are where you are in your career. You've established some sort of, you know, respect from others or whatever it is. You just feel that you can stand your ground. And maybe for the first time in your life at a consistent way and standing your ground is not going to cost you and that you are not going, it's not going to, and, and that even if it costs you something, you are willing for the sake of your own authenticity to be able to say your piece. Yeah. And I think that I've noticed that myself. I'm sure I wasn't ever quite that compliant, but now I'm much more forthright and my husband goes, you can't say that. And I said, well, I'm going to say it <laughs> because it needs to be said or I tackle issues differently. And you're right. We're not trying to attract a mate or to please people in the same way, which can in itself lead to some tensions in our relationships, can't it? I think it can lead to tensions in our relationship, yes. However, I think that that also means that some things that have been needing to be resolved and haven't been resolved and you know some areas in which your toes have been being stepped on for maybe years or even decades all of a sudden your toes are not getting stepped on anymore and you know it's not that you're going to become a mean nasty the b word you know <laughs> so you're going to be you know you're going to try really you know it's just like you and it's not like you're going to stop your caretaking. It's not going to, there's the people you love are still the people you love and you would lay down in front of a semi truck for them. You know, you would still do all of that. So it's not all of a sudden you just become really, really selfish. It's just that you need to speak your piece and you are willing to do so. And it's about time. Yeah, that's really well summed up. It's, it's time for us to, you know, be our authentic self. One of my or things that you said earlier, should I say, Luan, is this sense of being calmer. Because anxiety is real, isn't it, for women going through this midlife hormonal changes? The calmness that comes with the upgrade is, is very surprising and a very welcome to most of us women, very welcome. And I think that the, you know, this, this roller coaster of the monthly hormones keeps you kind of angst your anxiety up on your toes and on kind of more of a hyper alert there's a feeling after the the transition and into the up 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Great that you start to get that feels like um, smoother, smoother waters. And you can, you know, you can count on that. You're not always a little hormone, hormonally off balance. You're steady, you're steady eddy. Yeah. And that's, it is really interesting because I think we feel quite, as you said, through through our lives from quite maybe in our twenties or even earlier, this sort of roller coaster. And like we're juggling a lot of balls, we multitask a lot, don't we? You know, the multitasking that's required in our in our younger years for a lot of us women would, would be something that's like that's a little bit close to torture sometimes. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we're doing it, but it causes a lot of stress and anxiety and insomnia or just like, you know, just like you never feel rested, you know, on and on. So that multitasking takes a toll on our brain circuits that causes us to, you know, probably not be as creative or not be at our best or not be able to to go inward and have a peaceful moment to think about what's the right next thing for you to do, both for you and the situation. You, you often don't even have time to pause for that when you're multitasking. And as, as you probably know, Clarissa, in the brain, the concept of multitasking is a little bit, has been shown to be that if you're, if you're holding two things in your brain at once. If you think of the front two, the frontal lobes or the two lobes of your brain, you can hold, you can sort of hold two things at once, but as soon as you pick up a third, you have to drop one of the others. This is how the brain circuits work. And then a bit more as you get into the transition and the upgrade, you even holding two things, two things at once, one will start to cancel out the other one a bit. So it's, it's something that has been thought of as a, as a decrement in some ways as we get older. But however, there is this really wonderful flip side of that where it's, you learn, you've training yourself that you need to stay focused on one thing at a time. Because if you get distracted with that second thing, you're not going to be able to do completion of the other. So you, gradually you learn to stay focused on one thing at a time. So it actually makes you more focused on and more patient with yourself and others. Yeah. And, and I think that's reflected in that then you feel calmer and you're able to think more clearly, aren't you? I mean, there's a real positive impact on your cognitive abilities. Because I think, I mean, I think we're not even aware that we're doing it. I know I wasn't, and you know, and I've just naturally gone to sort of decreasing the number of things I want to take on to do 
or do you know and, and that includes that includes you know too many lunches with girlfriends or too many dinners you know of course during you know during the pandemic it's kind of a kind of it's for us for us women in the upgrade it's it's kind of been nice in a way it's it's enforced a situation that that helps us be our best so it's but there is this there is this magnetic pull that I've had at least towards to a bit more solitude and less busyness and allows me more patience and also more calm focus on the people I love. Yeah, that's very true. And I think that we're not then, we're not that sense of juggling, which is, which actually is very stressful. And we often feel like we're not making any progress. But when I talk to women my age and older, it's amazing. They write a book, they start a podcast, they learn a new skill, they become, as you said, very creative we all are, I think, at that age, probably because we're not switching. The brain's not having to switch, 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 switch all the time and probably achieve very little or achieve some things, but actually takes us longer. I think it takes us longer, but it also makes the quality of our product, whatever it is, the quality of our life when we're juggling too many things is very poor. We have a very poor quality of life. So one of the reasons I called this book The Upgrade is because I think that your quality of life gets upgraded. It's really your quality of life that gets upgraded as you pass through this transition. I think so. And I think that if you listen to women in it, they'll talk very negatively about it. And there's a, a tremendous amount of conversation about the negativity. And so it's so great that you know, you're bringing forth actually one of the positive dimensions of transitioning through hormonal change in that we do become the things that we maybe are desperately seeking in our yoga classes and all the rest, suddenly just, you know, are there for us because we're on a more stable base. Absolutely, Clarissa. I really think that the reason I wrote the upgrade is I just wanted to put out there my own personal experience, experience of a lot of the patients who've come through my clinic, a lot of my friends and, you know, my that have gone through this and talk about the advantages that we have at this stage of life. Because of course, when you, when you run a clinic, you hear, you definitely hear uh, the misery. We know, we all know the misery and misery loves company, right? And I think that it's really great that we women have lots of places that we can, we can talk to each other about, you know, the, the, the little, the complaints and the, the, the true suffering, the true suffering that goes on. So I'm not trying to say by I'm not being a Pollyanna, you know, this is all like, this is all fun and happiness. I mean, it, going through this transition, it has some very dark and black moments. And I think one of the things that really, I would say most of the women who've come through my clinic, and of course, remember, it's a selected sample because it's people that are really miserable and suffering, but many, many of them say, if I, they'll, it, this is how bad it gets. This is how dark it gets for a lot of women and women listening to your podcast, of course, no, but it's like, you get to the point where I have women say, you know, the joy has gone out of my life. I just, I feel like if it weren't for my kids and my family, whatever, I don't even, I can, if I have to live like this for the rest of my life, I can't do it. I can't live like this for the rest of my life. So it, let's be clear. It can be, there's some dark moments that go through the transition for many of us. And so I just want your listeners to, to not think that it's like that the, you know, the upgrade and I just, but I do think that what happens is, is that you need to know when you're in those deep, dark moments that it's not going to last forever. That there is a way out. That there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's it's better than you thought. 
So I think that that's, it's, it's important that, that those of us that are now on the other side reach our hands back across, you know, to our sisters, our younger sisters who are going through this and need some encouragement. I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm with you all the way on that one because I've always felt that, yes, it can be tough. But I don't think I had a very easy time at all, but there is this light at the end of the tunnel and it and it really is quite remarkable it doesn't sort of happen instantly does it but you know there are these these steps you know and suddenly you think gosh if you look back a few years and you think god i feel so much better than i ever thought i could it's great and i think that well, i don't know if you've noticed this too close but my relationships with other people even family members not all the family members but even some family members where things have been kind of not so good for a lot of years, you know, and I didn't sort of had the time and attention in some ways. But now that that I do some some of those have improved my relationship with 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 what, what, what used to be difficult relations that I had with various family members have gotten better. Not all of them. I'm still working on a bunch of them. I'm still hopeful for some of them. It's, you know, I'm just I'm not giving up yet. So I think that a lot comes you know, there's this thing about this, this phrase some people use, like, you got to stick around long enough for the miracles to happen. That's very, very true. <laughs> we definitely do. And they can happen. But one of the things we, we did talk about in that vein is, of course, that for some women who develop brain fog, they get a concern about dementia. Dementia is real, isn't I mean, I know my mother died of, of dementia, so I know that it is a real and debilitating impact. And some women worry when they get brain fog that that's the start of dementia. Oh, yes, Clarissa. I've had so many women, they, the, the, the desperate phone call to the, uh, to the clinic was like, I don't know what I'm having. That's my somebody said I should come, but I just feel like I'm I'm ready to go into Alzheimer's. My mother died of Alzheimer's, and I know I have it now. You know, it's like it's like it's all of a sudden it's a nine one one call, or at least in the states we call it like you know an emergency call to the doctor. But so that is very very common, and the brain fog you get during the transition. It's not, I mean, there are a few small percentage that, that have what's called the genetic type of Alzheimer's that runs in their family that may start getting symptoms during the transition. So that's a, that's a separate, very, very tiny group. But you feel as if you can't remember your word, you can't find a word. And I think that you can't remember the word, like all of a sudden you can't remember the word for toaster. Or, you know, or something really basic that's looking, you're looking at it right in front of you and you just all of a sudden you start to spin out of control. Oh gosh, this is the beginning of dementia. And it's not. And the brain, the hormonal rock and roll that's going on jerking that area that the hippocampus, not the hippopotamus, the hippocampus in your brain around because of the changes in the hormones is what's causing that for most women. And it's not dementia. So I think it's really important to say that it's something that you, you're, that you're within you, when you get through the transition into the upgrade, that won't be happening to you anymore. No. And women can do quite a lot today, can't they, to protect their brains long-term against dementia? So there's a lot, as you know, I mean, people that are paying attention to this, especially people who've had a family member like you, Clarissa, that died of dementia, you know, you watch all the brain research that's coming out and it's, it's, I mean, there, it's, I mean, there's no magic pill yet, right? For that. It's not like, it's not like if you have high cholesterol, you can go take an anti-cholesterol medicine, you know, so the, so the world of heart disease is way further along than the, the, the world of, of 
brain dementia and brain illnesses. So we haven't, let's, let's be clear, we're, we're, we're working on it, but we, we haven't gotten there yet. So in the meantime, what do we know and what can you do that's actionable? Well, what I tell women is that one of the biggest things for causing the dementia process in the brain we've discovered is, is something called, you know, inflammation. And the inflammation in your body as we get older, it just, it's it's not something because you have an infection. It's called, a, it's basically called, they call it a, it's a weird word, sterile. It's called a sterile inflammation, meaning that it's not caused by an infection. It's just caused by the natural processes in your body with, with as, as it breaks down certain proteins and et cetera, et cetera. And that's, you can do good work for that to reduce it. Often dietary is one of the big things that's being focused on now in all the research. So that eating that kind of a Mediterranean diet, you know, where you have as much fruits and vegetables as you can and and low low amounts of red meats, etc., will be the, those kinds of things that we that most of us already know. So that's a helpful thing. And if you're not doing that already and stop smoking, smoking is really bad for this inflammatory process in your body and brain. And, you know, the alcohol issue is that, you know, alcohol really does interfere with transmission in your brain. So it's just, it's, 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 you know, it's bad for your body, bad for your brain, bad for your liver, bad for your brain. Anything that's bad for your heart or your liver is also bad for your brain. So that part of the story is, you know, and lots of, and the, I think that sleep, really having restful sleep, deep sleep every night. I mean, whatever you have to do to improve the quality, quality and quantity of your sleep can really help your brain. And the two things that I find in the clinic and that the research is bearing out that's really bad for sleep, the the worst things for sleep are alcohol and caffeine. So one of the things that women do as you start to get brain fog or whatever is we up our caffeine content. We up our caffeine drinking all of the time. And what happens even even when you have a strong cup of coffee or two in the morning, it's still in your system by midnight. And so if if you are having trouble, what's called, if you're having trouble falling asleep at night, getting on a regular stage to fall asleep at night. I know it's not a night. It's anyway, you will, you will, you will thank me for this one. You'll thank me for this one. If you can try to do a, do a 60 day trial of tapering yourself slowly off the caffeine and seeing if that falling asleep doesn't get hugely better. That's if the falling asleep thing, if you're waking up a couple of hours after you fall asleep and having trouble getting back to sleep, then that's the time to look at your alcohol consumption. Because if you've had a couple of glasses of wine at dinner, it's going to make your brain, you might fall asleep easier, but you'll wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to go back to sleep. So those two things, one, two, and then the third is get some kind of exercise during the day, no matter what it is for you, if it's walking, if it's whatever, that w- that sort of makes you a little bit tired be- before the hour of like about three o'clock. So do it sometime before about three o'clock in the afternoon. So those three things will help you preserve your brain because the sleep pro- the sleep issue is really important for women, especially going through the transition. Yeah. And when you say those things, it, they're really very straightforward, practical things that I think many of us sit here going, yep, I know alcohol is not my friend for lots of other reasons for women in midlife too. Generally makes us put on weight and makes us hot and bothered. Smoking. Yeah. There isn't anything good about that. We know that we've known that. And then 
exercise and diet. You know, it's really having foundational good habits, isn't it? It's so surprising that the things we've all, we, 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 it's not, it's this, nothing I said is going to be a surprise to women. But the thing is, so there's a, there's a, there's a study, there's studies that show this issue of habits, how to change our habits is a 14, 14 days is t- to do something going forward will help you to break a habit or make a habit. So there's something about the magic of 14 days of doing it. So if it has to do with like, getting off the caffeine, getting off the alcohol, getting your sleep. It's not the 14 days. It's like, I mean, you got to think of this stuff as brushing your teeth. It's something you got to do every day. You know, if you want to keep your teeth, that's another, if you want to keep your teeth as we get older, it's like, you're not going to stop brushing your teeth. No. And I think that if you've, you just, it just build habits that are good for you. Even when they're boring, you just do them and you do them all the time. Then, yeah. And I know that, you know, dementia is complicated, as I know from my own mother. She didn't, but she didn't sleep, and that was the one thing. She slept very badly. She never smoked or drank, but she slept badly for years and years and years. And I'm sure that that had an impact on that. And and I know it's not like brain fog because I've seen it. So I would say, concur with you that you see brain fog, you've forgotten something. Someone with dementia, it's very different altogether. It is very different. And I, so the studies that you might see coming out right now, just to let your listeners know about, you know, the, the people who have the genetic, you know, I guess 30 to 40% of us carry the gene, the APOE4 gene, which is the, you know, the gene variant that will be more likely to get dementia. So that's like 30 to 40% of us carry at least one of those. I think 2% of the population carries two of those. And those are the people that, you know, I, I think that what they're, a lot of people are, if you have two of those and you're, you're really high up there in terms of your risk. Those women are the women that may want to continue taking estrogen. They may want to stay on HRT if you have no other contraindications. No, you you care. You know the breast cancer issue is addressed and followed by your doctor, and you make sure you get your annual mammograms. If you're in that, so pretty soon we're going to start seeing what's called that's more personalized medicine. But it's not. I mean, it's available now to you. That that, that information is available now to you. And so those are the women that probably for the dementia issue are going to want to start taking estrogen at the transition and probably continue with it. That's And that I think is a really important message for women to know that that exists and that there is support for them if if they're in a high-risk group. Luann, when does this wonderful book come out? So the date that it's released in both the US and the UK is going to be the 19th of April. So that's that's very soon. That's coming up. And I know that there's going to be, I have a wonderful, wonderful team both in New York and the one in the UK is fabulous. They are just the best I've ever had. They're making, they've been already, whatever, they've been to my house. I made a couple of videos, they, whatever. I, so I could do a few talks with them. So the good news is that they're, they're, you'll see it everywhere and it'll be out in audiobook and you know ebooks whatever you'll you'll be able to list you'll be able to do it any way you want so i think for women that are going through the transition stage like the 42 to 52 there's two great chapters chapters 3 and 4 are really really for you they're you know there i talk a lot about my own transition and stories of other women that have been through it and also the science gets woven in there too so you don't have to have you don't need to know any science or any brain science necessarily to read this book you'll learn a lot of brain science just because it's woven into the stories but most of the book is about stories of women going through various stages and what they did about things what what we helped them with 
what was meaningful to them. And then also lots of what I call brain hacks, brain hacks for the body and brain as we're going through this is like chapter, the, and the neuroscience, the neuroscience of the brain hacks in chapters six, seven, eight. So those are really like the actionable, what, what to do about it is definitely in there as well. That is super exciting. We'll obviously have this release just before your book comes out so that my listeners, I would get onto this and I'm, I want to look at the hacks because I'm excited too, even though I'm on the other side and <laughs> my brain is definitely upgraded. Luann, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your depth of knowledge and your passion for female brains. Thank you so much. Calissa, thank you so much for letting me talk with your audience and with you and getting the chance to see if we can, those of us who've passed over to the upgrade can reach back to our younger sisters and, and help them up o over the hurdle here. Indeed. <laughs>